I love being in the house of God and the family of God. We get our cake and we get to eat it too. Did I see Sean Gibson out, out singing in front here? He had to figure out what to do with his hands because they're always back there on the keyboard. Young Mr. Canfield played bass for the first time. Was, I thought that was great. I love... Uh, you know what I love? I love a church that, whether or not you, you are old or young, I love a church that feels young. And if I have to pick, I'm going to pick a church that feels young. Because I'm not old. I'm not old. I'm a little old. I went out with some friends and, and it was like after 10 when we were driving home and I'm, I'm like, we're all like, we're exhausted. I'm like, what happened to the clock? We got so old. It's 10 o'clock on a Friday night. We're talking in this uh, series, Perfect Family, said sarcastically with a bit of a smirk. What I love about, about the, we're not trying to make your family perfect. We're trying to actually reveal its imperfections so that you can start growing. As long as you try to have a perfect family, you'll never grow. And um, I love how only in Christ can he take an imperfect, flawed family. You might be experiencing sin in your life or addiction or wherever you come from, whatever your story is. I love how God can take something that's imperfect and flawed, something even that's hurting other people, how he can redeem it, forgive it, get it back on his feet and create. Today's sermon is about a legacy, a lasting legacy that outlives you, that you would be proud of. What will they remember you for? If they had to sum up your life in like a sentence or two, what would, what would it sound like? If you had to sum up your, your mom's life or your dad's in a sentence, what would it be? Is that something that would satisfy you, knowing two or three generations later that that was all that was said about you, or all written, that was written in the paper about you, or on the tombstone about you? I, I think about that because I come from a weird family, and um, we used to have will talks around the table. Dad would be like, all right, boys. And we'd be like in junior high or high school. And he'd be like, let's talk about our last will and testament. And we'd be like, okay, this is normal. How many people know that your family's not normal? You just think it's normal until you see somebody else's family. And we used to have these, uh, these conversations around the, the last will and testament of Richard and Beth Cope. And we'd be talking, the boys would be quite excited about this because we were like, oh yeah, let's talk about money. You know, like if, if mom and I die, here's the executor. I, I feel like the executor was Ben. Are you still the executor? Are you still in control of my dad's money? I'm sure he gave Ben very specific instructions. Do not give those boys any money when they're 18 or when they're 21 or maybe even when they're 25. We used to have these, these talks about what it was like, you know, and we used to actually talk about that. I think the generation that came behind me never, never considered that they might actually die. And that's why part of the reason, let me jump into something serious, is, is why this whole COVID thing landed on us so, so quickly and so hard is it because we don't think about the next life all that much. When, when you don't understand that, that uh, death is still around 100% and you're going to have to deal with it and go through it. But how many people know that if you belong to Jesus, death is just the beginning and the great es escape from this world and where we want to go? And that's the hope of salvation. That's the hope of, for our communities as well. Thanks, Sean. You're not Sean. You're not Sean. Sean's, Sean's over there. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> you threw me for a loop there. You know what? Uh, those uh, those end-of-life nurses, what, what do we... 
Palliative, thank you, thank you. Um, do you know what they never hear when somebody's on their deathbed escaping into the next life, you know? What they never hear is like, you know, I wish I would have worked more Thursday nights to afford a better coffee maker. You know, like they just never talk. The only thing that you care about at the end of your life, when you're looking into the next life, the only thing that you care about is the connection with, it's the only reason that you exist on earth, by the way, and it's what we build Venue Church around. How you connected with God and how you connected with people. That's it. And what you leave behind you of the connection with God and the connection with people. And nobody talks about the stuff or the status that they have. I'm going to be talking today about a blessing that, that Jacob tried to steal from Esau. A blessing that God has already given you in your life, but sometimes you think that the blessing is about your status or your stuff. And how many of your prayers, if I had to ask you, like how many of your prayers, if you prayed 10 prayers yesterday, how many of them were about stuff and how many of them were about status? Well, you're like, but pastor, I need stuff. I need food. Yeah, but is that what your life is about? Like, what sentence are you going to leave behind you? You know, when they remember Corey, what are you going to say about me in a generation or two? Will you even remember me? We're not going to remember the car I drove, unless I get a really nice car. Or I'm gifted a really nice, nice car. I need more faith in this church. What are they going to say about you? What are they going to write about you in the paper? Here are some uh, obituaries that I found in the paper. Um, William Ziegler escaped this mortal realm on Friday, July 29th at the age of 69. We think he did it on purpose to avoid having to make a decision in the pending presidential election. <laughs> he leaves behind four children, five grandchildren, and the potted meat industry for which he was an unofficial spokesman until dietary restrictions forced him to eat real food. You guys don't think that's funny? Oh, y'all think about dying right now. That's what the problem is. Here's another one. Christian Hacker died of uh, April 9th, 2015, leaving behind a uh, venue censored. Heck of a lot of stuff his wife and daughter have no idea what to do with. So if you're looking for car parts for a Toyota, BMW, Triumph, Dodge, or Ford between the years of 53 to 2013, or, or maybe a half a dozen circular saws, still in their boxes with the Home Depot receipts attached. You should wait the appropriate amount of time and get in touch. Oh, Here's my favorite one, Val Patterson. He writes his own obituary. Now that I have gone on to my reward, I have confessions and things I should now say. As it turns out, I am the guy who stole the safe from the Motorview Inn back in 71. I could have left that unsaid, but I wanted to get it off my chest. Also, also, I got lost. I, that's what I do, preachers do when they get lost in their notes. They just repeat the last thing they said. Also, I really am not a PhD. What happened was that the day I went to pay off my college student loan, the girl working there put my receipt into the wrong stack, and two weeks later, a PhD came in the mail. I didn't even graduate. In fact, I never learned what the letters stood for. Get this, get this. For all the electronics engineers I've worked with, I'm sorry, but you have to admit my designs always worked very well and were well engineered and I always made you laugh at work. Wow. What will they say about you? You know, I think about my parents and I think, you know, what am I, what are you going to remember of them? What am I going to remember of my parents? What am I going to, what do I remember of my grandparents? What sentence or would it be enough for me to have the sentence that they died with. Would that be enough? Would, would I, not so that I can be remembered, so that I can be remembered as somebody who did something in the world that was worthwhile. 
I think about, you know, my folks, and I'm thinking, what, what legacy have they left even with you? I look around, and I see some of you are part of their legacy, and, and I think, nobody's going to remember what car my dad drove. Mostly because there were minivans. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> my dad loves minivans, man. He just can't get enough minivans. He just keeps buying new minivans. We had like the 10, we have four kids, and so we had the, the 10 years of babies and diapers, and, and we had minivans until the last time Aaron is like, do not bring me one of those home again. I'm done. Will you be remembered for the car that you drove? I don't think so. I hope not. What will you be remembered for? Around the uh, dinner table, we used to talk about the, the, I used to talk about, not my dad and mom, but I used to try to bring up this whole idea of Old Testament firstborn. Now, I don't know if you know this or have read your Bible about the Old Testament, but the firstborn son would get the double portion of the inheritance. And being the firstborn son, I'm like, Dad, we got to go Old Testament. You love Jesus, don't you, Dad? The firstborn son in the Old Testament got the double portion. We got the double blessing. And look at this guy, Ryan. Like, he didn't, he didn't need a double blessing. What's he going to do with it anyways, you know? We would actually have these conversations around the dinner table until mom would finally be like, okay, we're talking about something else. This is depressing and freaking me out a little bit. I think sometimes what happens is you come to Christ or you get married sometimes. You just get in relationship with somebody for the, for the stuff and the status they can bring you. But you forget that the blessing of Christ and the blessing of the church and the blessing of a nation is, is not for you to keep it and hold it in your hands. Your hands were supposed to be a conduit. Unto the next generation and a conduit unto the people around you. And, and here's the thing. The only way to stop the blessing of God flowing into your life, if you follow Jesus and are adopted into the son of, uh, as a son or a daughter in, into heaven, think about this. The firstborn, the son of the morning, the one who hung on a cross and was resurrected to free you from sin. The blessing of the firstborn is not just for him. It's for you too. The only way to stop the blessing is when you close your hands on it. Oh, thank you. I got a new car. Thank you. There's enough food in the fridge. Thank you. Yeah, that blessing wasn't for you. Your hands were supposed to be conduits. That's right. And as soon, the only way to stop the blessing is to close on them. As soon as you turn your hand over and let it go, then more blessing is released from heaven. That's true. And you let it go. And you thank you, God, for a little bit of mental health now. I didn't used to have that, but thank you, God. And you turn around and help somebody else. And then you turn your hand over for yeah. blessing and more comes. Yeah. And you get healed and you get whole. I mean, not completely whole, but mostly you get healed enough and whole enough to keep helping, and you get healed and you get blessed as a byproduct of what you're giving away. That's how heaven works. Now, my parents, you know what, what you're going to remember them for and what I'll remember them for, I think most of all, is that they were the firstborns of their family, not, not in birth order necessarily, but firstborns of their family back to Christ. Now, somebody here is the first one in your family who came back to Christ or who met Jesus the first one who got baptized, the first one right now who's making a decision to follow Jesus. The, you might be the first ones back. And I'll tell you what, if you want to be the first one to do something for God and do something great for God, man, whoever goes through that wall first gets hurt a bit. And, and my, my mom came from a family that they went to church their whole lives, but they didn't even preach the gospel in it. And so she didn't even know that Jesus was real. She thought it was just Sunday school and stories and a social club. Then she goes to, to college and gets a, has a radical experience with the risen Savior. Which is where Christianity starts, by the way. I don't know how radical it would be, but we're not saying, hey, believe this, and then, you know, you get to go to heaven. Beliefs don't save you. Jesus saves you. And meeting Jesus was what got the early church and all the bother in the first place. No, no, come meet a resurrected Savior from the presence of the Holy Spirit in church. Like, no, this is a person you meet. 
that changes everything. Some people are so skeptical about Christianity. I'm just like, have you met Jesus? Well, no. Then shut up. What are you talking about? You don't know anything about anything. I'm an electrician. I'm like, why don't you lecture me about electricity while you don't know anything about that too? A strong evangelism technique is what that is. Shut up. You don't know anything about anything. Come to my church. Hey, man, nobody can tell you you haven't met Jesus. Nobody can tell you he hasn't healed you. Nobody can tell you that he hasn't saved your soul. Nobody can tell you that. Oh, that's good. Inject a little adrenaline in there. There's the blessing of the firstborn that God wants to pass for you. But here's what I know is that you were handed other things from your family tree that was a different kind of a blessing, like a bad blessing. See, see, the devil has, you know, God gave the, the, the earth to Adam and Eve, and then Adam and Eve turned it over and gave it to the devil. And so what the devil has been doing ever since then in your family line is he's been sowing his little inheritance in there, which is like to steal from you, to kill you, to hurt you, to destroy you, to make you a crazy person, to make you greedy, to make you lustful, to make you unfaithful, to make you proud, to make you angry, to make you depressed, to make you, there's a spirit of infirmity that passes down. Some families are just sick all the time. Some people have a spirit of infirmity on them. They are just suggestible to this other thing. When Jesus is like, actually, I can make you relatively whole in this lifetime. Actually, there's protection with the blood of Jesus, actually. But what we have to do is we have to trade one inheritance that we came into this life with, with another. If you want the inheritance of the firstborn, you have to trade the I'm always broke for this like God is blessing me and I'm blessing others. You have to trade the inheritance for the other inheritance. I was talking with uh, Rachel. I, I don't know if she's here. I was talking with Rachel about her kids and we're like, hey, we have an authority here by God to get your kids free. And she's like, my kids and, and you know, me, my parents there, this is what's coming down our family tree. This is what's happening to us. I, I talked to, with her about this before I shared it at a team last night. And I'm like, she's like, these are the things that we struggle with in our home. I'm like, let's break those off right now in Jesus name. Let's create a new inheritance for your kids. If you won't fight that battle, they'll have to fight it. And every generation, it gets a little bit worse. And, and my parents, they fought those bad. There were things that came to, to us from their family lines of, of horrible fear and terror and uh, spiritual and weird occult stuff. And, and all of this, I mean, I'm not a mystic, everybody, but I was dealing with it. And sooner or later, you're going to actually have to deal with this. Would you fight that battle? And would that be your legacy? To, to pass, here's, here's, here's what the, the firstborn blessing is for. Freedom. Yeah. Not the freedom to do whatever you want. That's not freedom. That's stupid. I mean the freedom. To live the life that God wanted you. Like up on the wall, dressed in armor, ready to go, fighting for your neighbors and your families. We have to remove the curse and replace it with a blessing. Adam passed down a curse, but Jesus, it says, is a type of Adam who redeemed all of that. You know, I, I used to think that the firstborn blessing was more for, for me. You know, an immature version of you thinks that. Like, God bless me. God bless me. And God's like, well, in the Old Testament, the firstborn actually, yeah, yeah, status and stuff. Yeah, but, but they had the extra portion because they had to take care of grandma and grandpa. Because they had to take care of the cousins and put them to work in the fields. Because they were ultimately, they had to get up early and stay out late. The firstborns. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can have the blessing, the double blessing, if you want a Christ follower, but it's not for you. It's for your neighbors. It's for your, we need to get back to invite culture. I know that we've been like, how oh, are we allowed to invite people to church? Well, I don't know. Church seems to be full. But the thing is like, your neighbors aren't here yet. Your extended family, your, get them online. Get them like this, this idea that no, but with great blessing comes great responsibility. We have to pour it into the people that come behind us. Here's what I don't want said about you. I don't want the old inheritance said about you. I don't want this to be said about you when you go. She wasn't a great mom because she didn't have a great mom. 
That is some people's story. They, they camp in the wrong inheritance. They, they never get past that. This is what I want to be said about you. She, she didn't have a great mom, and she wasn't a great mom, but she's a great grandma now. Like, she got it figured out in Jesus, and she, she allowed Christ to turn it around and to bless her, and now she's going to pass something different on. His childhood was hard and abusive, and he never got over it. If Jesus is your brother, and God your heavenly father is your father in heaven, why couldn't this be said about you? His childhood was hard, but now he makes the devil's life hard. Now the devil wakes up and he's worried because of what he's going to do and the people that he's going to set free in the name of Jesus. How about this? She had a nasty divorce and remained broken. No. Not your, that doesn't have to be your... How about she had a nasty divorce, but God gave her a second chance and look what she did with it. Come on, there, there has to be something that rises up and casts off that old curse and that old inheritance. There's a depression that's landing from family. Don't tell me it's just clinical. Don't tell me that God can't fix it and God can't heal you. If you knew where I came from, you'd be like, oh, God can deal with depression. God can deal with the spirit of suicide. God can deal with unfaith. God can deal with anything that is out there to be dealt with. But what we have to do is we have to do our part. I have yet to meet a family who haven't had to go to war to break off some of these things. There is something that you struggle with in an unusual way that God wants you to break up. Now, here's what the devil will tell you. I can't. He's going to tell you, you can, you can deal with these things on your own. How's it going? It can't be done. That's not the plan of God. What God does is God sets the members in the body, and God will send somebody to you with actual spiritual authority who can do it. Now, you've got to maintain it, but you can't do it. And this is, you're like, yeah, but I have to go to somebody? Yes, it's called humility. It's called faith. That's how God works. And when God does that thing and he hands you that thing, it, it works through authority. And when that happens through authority, then you have to maintain it. They'll explain to you how it works. There are some people who have authority over those things that you have struggled with in your family line, but you don't yet. So until you do, you got to be careful about how you handle these things because they're stronger than you are. And we have this tremendous Christian pride sometimes. Like, I can deal with the devil. I can fight the... Whoa! You can or Jesus can? Right, right. Was it you? You're going to go and fight the devil right now. I don't want to be around it. No, Jesus can. And Jesus is like, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to go talk to this person. I want you to get this. And so all we do is we, we obey the commander of the Lord's army. And then we come and get set free. I feel like I can just preach easy, this easy today. I feel like you're just uh, receiving this. Okay, Genesis 25. Uh, we're going to find out another broken family. Hey, I'm doing this to show you this, this brotherhood between Jacob and Esau and this striving for the blessing because they didn't know what it was for. I, I want to tell you that no matter what kind of brokenness you come from, God can heal it. And God can create something out of that brokenness called a mosaic that's more beautiful than anything you can imagine. It just won't be about you. <laughs> the inheritance was not supposed to be about you. This is the account of the family of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. Um, so some of you are experiencing a barrenness in an area of your life. It says that in the scriptures that God is coming one day to look for your, uh, at, on your tree for fruit. So some of you are barren. You don't have the fruit in your life in an area or a bunch of areas that you want. And, and God wants fruit to be born. So Isaac marries Rebecca, and he's like, um, he's like, for this legacy to pass on, I need a son. 
and I don't have one. So he marries this girl, and they're barren. They have no fruit in their relationship. Some of you, your family has shown very little fruit up till this point. That is not what God intends in the future. But what we have to do is we have to trade that curse for a blessing. We have to trade the, the inheritance that we came in with with the inheritance that God has prepared for us. And so Isaac is, is pleading with the Lord. Now, this all sounds like it happened in, in a couple of weeks. And it's like, oh, good. She got pregnant and great. 20 years. Don't ever stop praying for somebody. 20 years. What's it worth? 20, somebody's grandma has been praying for you just to be at church today. And you just showed up and, and grandma has been praying for you for 20 years. Yeah. You stupid jerk. You should have been here a long time ago. <laughs> Save 20 years. You could be praying for somebody else. But what's a, the life of a person, a life saved is worth everything. What's it worth to you? What's, it, what's a son or daughter worth? She became pregnant with twins, but the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me? They didn't have ultrasounds. So they didn't know. And, and so she doesn't know that there's two boys inside of her. How many people, if you have twin boys, where's Lilani? Oh, God bless Lilani. <laughs> twin boys, man. Like I, they're already fighting with each other inside the womb. And she didn't know what's going on. And they're just like... <clears throat> Give me that. Don't call me fat. You know, it's just like they're already fighting. Here, we want the blessing, but the blessing is like childbirth. The promise comes with a struggle. Any legacy worth fighting for is going to have a fight. You got to fight. It, it comes with a struggle. Struggle precedes legacy. It precedes it. It's before it. And the Lord told her, the sons in your womb will become two nations. Um, and verse 24, and when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered she did indeed have twins. She didn't believe the ultrasound. I never had seen an ultrasound. Ultrasounds are super creepy, by the way. Like, anybody been to an ultrasound? The older generation may not have. Like, I, go, I go to the ultrasound with Arwen, and I'm like, oh. Because they're showing me this screen, and they're like, I'm like, oh, what, what's going on in there? And I'm like, is there... Is there any way to tell if this baby is some form of hybrid alien? Because that's what I'm, that's the vibe I'm getting at, at which point the nice young lady stopped talking to me and addressed all of her <laughs> remarks to Aaron. Fair enough. <laughs> she had twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat, so they named him John Petka. <laughs> I don't know if, John, I don't, he's got red hair. I don't know if he's hairy or not, but they, they named <laughs> I know you could take it, and I know you're already repairing a response in your spirit. I can feel it. <laughs> they named him Esau. They used to actually name their kids, you know, sometimes what they look like, you know, which is hilarious. My brother's name is Ryan, which means little king, and my parents were always like, here's your crown, your majesty. <gasps> Bow to your brother! <laughs> That's what they're always doing. And they named me Corey, which means dweller by a hollow or a seething pool. Like hermit. Hermit. Why can't you be more like the little king? Well, you named me! Why are you so weird and why do you live by that seething pool? I don't know. And then the other one was born is, uh, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him that Jacob. Um, Esau or Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. That means like heel holder or supplanter or trickster or deceiver. Can you imagine like living with a stigma of that? Some of you have been living with a stigma that is not Christ stigma over you. It is not blessed. It is not strong. It is not faithful. It is not healed. It is not. You've been living with something else, so it's passed down to you. And so they, they actually named him like Rascal. I mean, do not prophesy that over your children, like you little rascal. Now, having said that, they named him Scoundrel, so they kind of like Han Solo. You know, come on, any Star Wars fans? My wife Erin likes me because I'm a scoundrel. As the boys grew up, 
Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob uh, was more of a homebody, had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home because he's a guy and guys aren't complicated, but Rebecca loved Jacob. <laughs> All the guys are like, yeah, I'm hungry right now is what I'm thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> my wife, before we were dating, had me over for a cran, she made cranberry chicken. Has anybody had my wife's cranberry chicken? Yeah. Did you almost propose to her too? I don't blame you. No, I, I get it. Single ladies. We're not complicated guys. It's not that hard. We're just hungry. Jacob was cooking some stew one day. Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. So this is how your, your life has been lived a lot, like exhausted and hungry. It's, it's, it describes Esau in the Bible as, as carnal, like in the world and of the world. You know, you're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. He was carnal. He was worldly. The, the, the world and the devil had hooks in Esau, and he was in the wilderness. Now, some of you have been living in the wilderness too long, and he was tired and he was hungry. And, and next week, I'm preaching a series called Supernatural. Like, hey, do what you can do so that God can do what God can do. Like, you need a little supernatural. You need a little Holy Ghost mixed in that coffee in the morning. So you can quit living this natural existence where, you know, two plus two equals four. You need a little two times two and times two and times two. Come on. It's going to be good. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. A little melodramatic, melodramatic there. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. Like, don't ever break a window back in. You know, like, you're the window breaker. That's you. There's the window breaker. Yeah, it was a long time ago. <laughs> All right, Jacob said, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. You don't know this yet, but, but Jacob is like, yeah, trade me the rights. Now, here's the thing. Jacob is trying to get what God had already given. And Esau is trying to give away what wasn't his. And you spend your whole life trying to find control and trying to find significance. And God's like, I've already given you all the significance in the world. It's just in me. I've already given you all the blessing. What we have to do is trade the inheritance. Yeah. And he, he gets Esau to trade it for, you don't know this, it's lentil stew. I don't know. I don't even know what lentils are, but they sound gross. He's a big game hunter and he trades it for vegetable stew. Is that our veggies? Are lentils vegetables? They're not. What are they? What? He traded it for legumes. That sounds worse than vegetables. Look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath like some of you have. Thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. He ate the meal. Then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Come on up, worship team. We're, we're going to take up communion. Have I forgotten to, to mention that? I think how well you are remembered will depend on what you do today. And sometimes you're trying to get everybody to remember you, but first what you have to do and what communion is all about is remembering Christ. Yeah. You see, you and I are to live in the blessing that he provides. In fact, it's a command to live in the blessing that is in the name of Jesus, but you can't do that on your terms. And you can't do that mixing an old inheritance in. So I want to ask you today, is there something in your family line that you struggle with? And you know that it got passed down for you. And you look in your family line and you're like, yeah, it's, it's always in there. 
Well, today's the day that I want you to get prayed for right over there at the care corner afterwards. And I want you to get set free and I want you to get your other inheritance. You see, if depression is the word, I think that overcoming courage can be its opposite. If you, if you, if you didn't get a communion on, on your way in with our sterilized whatever we're doing, um, somebody back there, I think, has some. Am I right about that? Just, just go back there or raise your hand and we'll, we'll sort you out. Can I explain how the communion things work so that all the men can relax? There's a little top thing that you have to peel off that will get you at that wafer. And then the next thing that you peel off uh, right under the wafer there will get you at the, the cup there. It's not wine, so relax, kids. See, here's what legacy has to do with. It has to do with freedom. Some of you are not free. Some of your children are not free or the children to come or the next generation. Whether or not you have children yourself, there's a next generation. And I'm going to remember my parents because they fought the devil to break off the things that came down from their family line to us. They fought that fight so their sons wouldn't have to fight that fight. And I remember the first time that my oldest daughter started to experience the extreme night terrors that I experienced when I was a child, that my parents went to war to, to get that other inheritance. You have to go out and get it. You can't trick your way into it. God has already given it to me. You have to make sure that you don't pick up this, this other inheritance. And they went to war. And I remember the first time that Arwen had extreme night terrors. And I remember the, the spirit of God rose up inside of me. I got so angry. How many people know that there's a righteous anger? When you're like, this has gone on long enough. This is it. This is the last day that we're dealing with this thing. We're, gonna, we're going after this now. And I got so angry. I mean, my wife saw me. I was shaking. I was like, for me to go through that as a child was one thing. But for her to go through it, unacceptable. There's nothing in me that's going to let that happen. There's nothing in me that won't die before I'll watch that happen again. And I went to war and I went to the Holy Spirit. And then I went out and I got that inheritance from God. I mean, Jacob later in his life, he wrestles with an angel all night. And he's like, bless me, bless me. Bless me. And the angel was actually God, a form of Christ that came. And, and it says that Jacob, the, the angel touched his hip and Jacob was crippled and he walked with a limp after that, but he got the blessing on his children when his brother Esau was coming and he thought to kill him. And there's this thing that God wants to reverse that. And every death that you've ever experienced in your life, or even the hurt you've done to people, God wants to reverse that so that you bring blessing now to people and you bring help and you bring strength to people. As we partake of communion here, after I read the scripture, I want you to understand that the blessing is about Christ. It begins and ends with him, our brother in the faith of the firstborn, the son of the morning, the bright and morning star. It begins and ends with the one who hung on a cross and was resurrected three days later. But that resurrection can be yours too, if you're willing to hang on a cross a little bit and get that inheritance that you need. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces. I, I want you to catch that. He, he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I think sometimes you, you come to church and I come to church and we're ashamed that our lives are in pieces, but pieces precede the promise pieces precede the promise if you don't come broken what, what are you coming for we have to keep our brokenness very close to us somebody asked me like i get so worried about 
about my past sin and it's embarrassing when I bring it up and I'm like, I live close to sin. I live close to the past because I, it keeps me broken. It keeps me in this place where I remember what I was like. It keeps me in this place where I remember how much I need Jesus, how much I need the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It keeps me broken and it helps me help broken people. It's not enough to get past the pain. You have to live in the pain by the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Live in resurrected cross. I don't know how it is. You live in the midst of death and resurrection at the same time so that you can help other people. So that God can bring a, a mosaic out of your family. All the broken pieces he brings together. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. As every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Go ahead and partake of the bread of that wafer and, and the cup. We remember you, Lord Jesus. We will never forget the sacrifice. We will never forget that we can glory in our brokenness because it never ends there. We can never forget how much we need you. The broken sin and pain that we have partaken of and hurt other people with is all washed away by the blood of Jesus. Our bodies broken and bruised, Lord, our minds and our hearts, but you God are the solution to all of those. It says, this is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, now we're talking about each other. This is where we need each other. You're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are sick and weak and some have even died. And, and here's what I feel for our nation. Well, we, Christ follower, have to, to be the broken. We... Our nation is being broken right now, but, but many are in this sickness, in this unprotected state in heart and mind and body because we have forgotten. We have dishonored the body of Christ. We have dishonored Jesus. We, we have to examine ourselves. But if we would examine ourselves, he goes on to say, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. We're going to sing a song called The Blessing that we want to start singing over you and, and you are welcome to sing it. And then we're going to turn around and sing it. We're going to hold the blessing of God and not close our fist on it. We are going to open our hands to it and pour it out today. And spiritually, you're going to do this. And then I need you physically to do something later in the day to bless somebody around you that needs Jesus or just needs the touch of God. You need to give somebody some encouragement. You need to give somebody some belief. You need to have somebody over. You just need to bring a neighbor who is far from God or send a text to someone. You just need to turn out and give the blessing away so that God can pour out more and then God can pour out more. And every time that he gives you a little bit and you get back on your feet, then you pour it out and God gives you a little more and God gives you a little more. This is the blessing God would speak over you. It's part of that blessing of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and part of the blessing on the people of Israel we find in the book of Numbers. It says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. And this is not just for us. This is for our nation as well. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord... Turn his face toward you and give you peace.